God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's turn to number 138 in Sweet Communion, Lord with Lee, and let's sing all the stanzas. Let's go together into the presence of the Lord to enjoy sweet communion for a few minutes. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so glad that we can commune with you, our beloved and all-wise Father who overflows in love and grace towards us. And we are so glad that, Son of God, you have loved us so deeply and given yourself for us and risen for us. And God, the Holy Spirit, we are so glad that you indwell us and that through your mighty power, we are drawn to the Father and to the Son 
And we are so glad that we can actually talk to you, the Holy Trinity, the most glorious being that ever was or ever shall be. You are the eternal God. And we are so glad that you have established with us a covenant of grace and reconciliation. And we are so glad that tonight we can admit that we are children of the Heavenly Father. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so glad we can gather at the end of this Lord's Day and we can fellowship with you and we can also fellowship with our brothers and sisters. And we come into your presence because we need your comfort. We need the grace and the strength that flows from your high throne. And so we pray that you would strengthen and comfort the congregation. We pray that you would comfort the Vandentorns and their whole extended family in this time of loss and suffering. And we are so glad that we can mourn as those who do have hope, hope in the glorious resurrection of every one of our bodies coming out of the graves at the last day, whole and more beautiful and handsome than they ever were in this life. Oh God, we are so glad that we have a life-death comfort in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are so glad that we have been called by you to gather to do what is the highest calling of every angel and every seraphim or cherubim or human creature to praise and exalt and enjoy the eternal Lord God Almighty. You are the king of kings and the king of the universe, and you are the God who is love. We are so glad, O oh God, that you reign supreme over all things. You are supreme over the war in Ukraine. You are supreme over Prigozhin's attempt to challenge Putin this week. You are supreme over bringing down dictators. You cause wars to start and you bring them to an end. You are supreme over all things. You are supreme over the climate. And we thank you so much for the gift of refreshing rain. We ask that you would continue to cause rain to fall throughout the summer to refresh the ground, to provide food. And so we praise you as the God who is the Lord of creation. We also thank you for your tender care for each one of us, your children, in spite of all of our weaknesses and sins. Forgive our sins, O Lord. We hate them. We're so sorry for them. Turn us away from them more and more. So strengthen our faith and strengthen our hope. Help us to lift up our eyes and see you upon your high throne, supreme in salvation and supreme in the cosmos, and then cause all of our fears to flee away. We are so grateful, Lord, for this congregation. We pray for our pastor, uphold and grant to him all the grace he needs to carry out his calling. Bless his pastoral labors. Also, we pray for your blessing upon our elder and deacon. Care for them, these men. Bless them. Grant them all the grace that they need. We thank you so much for your loving care for each one of our families. And we pray that you would guard us and protect us. Also, bless our children during this time of summer vacation. 
Grant them a time of rest and refreshment and enjoyment as they enjoy your beautiful world. Be with us now, and we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Your word is truth, and so we ask that you would sanctify us through your word and bless all of your ministers who bring your word tonight. Grant to them the grace of the Holy Spirit so they can preach the word faithfully and also be with all of our congregations. Be with all the congregations in the United Reformed churches. We pray that you would bless and guard each one of them. And cause your spirit to work mightily in the churches, regenerating, converting, sanctifying, and glorifying. And now hear this prayer only because of the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has loved us. Amen. Turn in your psaltery hymnal to number 60 and let's sing together. Be thou my helper in the strife. Let's sing stanzas one, two, and three, the first three, and then the last stanza, stanza eight. And let's rise to sing.
for our scripture reading tonight, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. The text for the sermon is going to be the last verses of this chapter, verses 27 through 31. What we're going to do is we're going to read the first 11 verses, and then we will go ahead to those last verses. So we're going to start in Isaiah 40, verse 1, with the famous exhortation that God gives to the prophet and to God's ministers. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, Cry out. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And then in the verses that follow, God speaks about his incomparable greatness. And then we come to verse 27. And God has a question for the Israelites who will be captive in Babylon. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In our text, God predicts something that captives in Babylon would say someday. The time would come, you know, and it's 
being predicted by the prophets that God would king send the Chaldeans against his covenant people, and King Nebuchadnezzar would come with his armies, and he'd capture many Israelites, including Daniel and his three friends, and bring them captive back to Babylon. And then later on, when he destroyed the city of Jerusalem, more captives were taken back to that strange land where they had to learn a foreign language. And God talks about how some of those captives will talk in captivity. There they are, imprisoned, as it were, in a strange country, have been kicked out of the land of Canaan, and this is what they're going to say. Verse 27, God says, you're going to say, they will say, my way is hidden from the Lord. Now, that's a false claim, but they will claim that God apparently doesn't see what we are going through. And then they'll make another false claim. They will say, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Yes, the Babylonians will be mistreating them and abusing them and violating their rights. And they, they, what they're saying is this, God isn't vindicating us from our wicked opponents. So they're basically claiming that God is ignorant of their situation and God is not functioning as a just judge. Now, sometimes you and I can think or act even if we don't talk like these Israelites. We have big problems in life, serious challenges, and we wonder, where is God? We often have it that people mistreat us They're mean to us, and they get away with it. Where is God? Well, our text here in verses 28 and following is a rebuttal of what these covenant people will say. They say, God doesn't know what's going on with us. He's not exercising just power to deliver us. And what God does is he responds to that, and he rebuts it. And what he asserts here is, first of all, his omniscience. We're told there is no searching of his understanding. And God asserts his omnipotent power, too. We're told the creator of the ends of the earth neither faints nor is weary. So what we find asserted here in the sacred scripture is that, no, our God knows. Our God is the God who knows. He's the God who knows what trials you're facing right now. He knows what hurts in your heart. And he is also the powerful God who's able to strengthen you, even if you feel very, very weak this evening. I love, too, how we're told in this passage that not only does God give power to the weak, but he increases power. That is striking. The title of my sermon is Mounting Up with Wings as Eagles. We are being described in an amazing way in this passage as Christians who can fly with the power of an eagle. We're going to look at the meaning of that, and then secondly, the possibility of us doing this, and then finally, the significance Now, in this Bible passage, God contrasts the weakness 
of human beings apart from him with his omnipotent power and his ability to help his people and give them divine power and gracious strength. And so God here paints two portraits. There are two different scenes. The one scene is of a person who gets absolutely exhausted. And what's striking is that it's a picture of a young person who gets absolutely exhausted. In verse 30, we're told, Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Now imagine if we decide that we're going to have a a marathon. We're going to run a marathon together. Those of us who are over 50, if we try to start running a marathon, you know, I'm not in shape for running a marathon. We start running a marathon on a 90-degree day. We'll make it to that maybe that five-mile marker at a slow jog, and then guess what? We will be finished, exhausted. Maybe the guys who are in the 30s could make a little further, and maybe the guys in their teens, late teens, early 20s, all the energy and vigor of youth, they didn't train ahead of time, What's going to happen with them? They might make it to that 15-mile mark, but the picture is of them making it to the 15-mile mark, and then that's all they can do. They're exhausted. They're red in the face. They're starting to faint, and even they need to stop. Now, what's striking here is that God says, even the people who are the most energetic, and I have nephews in this church who have a lot of energy, and I hear stories of them going on treks and hikes, and it's amazing what they pull off. But the pictures of even young men who have proverbial energy, even the young men, are exhausted. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. So that's the first portrait. It's a portrait of what we are like apart from grace. Weak. We are weak emotionally. We're weak psychologically. We're weak physically, we're weak, we're weak spiritually, and we can feel overwhelmed by trouble. My wife, from time to time, well, she has to every morning take a pill for her thyroid, and if she doesn't take that pill for her thyroid, guess what? She just feels weak all day long. And she wants to have energy, she wants to have strength to do her housework. Now, it's the same with ourselves. When we're, when we're going through all the struggles of the Christian life, we have a sense of our weakness. We have a sense of, yes, we walk and then we faint. But also there are times in our Christian life, too, where we, we have a desperate need for strength. We have a desperate need for the gracious power that comes from God. And some of you feel that way today. You've just been through a week of loss and grieving And then it's not like you come to church like normal where you say, well, I have some issues in my life and I need grace. But no, there's a sense I have a desperate need, a desperate need for the strength that comes from God because in myself I'm overwhelmed and exhausted. So the first portrait is this, of even a young man being exhausted. But then then we have the second reality. And the second reality is that As we wait on the Lord, suddenly we receive inexhaustible strength. The second scene is exhilarating. It's a picture of the Christian mounting up with wings like an eagle. 
In verse 31, we're told, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Perhaps you've seen some eagles lately. I have some friends who are photographers in Grand Rapids, and they've been taking pictures of eagles at a park in town, I think, putting them on Facebook. But what is striking about an eagle is its power. Look at an eagle and how it's able to mount up, take off, fly out of its nest, and then it's able just to soar into the heights. It's a picture of strength and power, and that's what God says his people are like by his powerful grace. And then, and then God adds to that even. He says, they shall run and not be weary. See, he's picturing you, believer, here. He's picturing you now as a runner, and you're running that marathon, and now we all get on, and we're going to run that marathon together, and there we go, and we go to that 16-mile mark. We hit the 20-mile mark, and guess what? We're still just running along lickety-split. They shall run and not be weary. And then finally, they shall walk and not faint. And here, think of the idea of pilgrimage. We are pilgrims, just like Christian was in the book Pilgrim's Progress, and Guess what? He, he's not sprinting the whole way. No, his life is one of walking, and we're walking on that narrow path that leads to life, and we're walking, and guess what? By the grace of God, we take that next step, even though we go through such traumas and such trials, yet look what happens. God says, no, we will walk and not faint. Now, the first of these metaphors is, is I think, the most remarkable, the picture of Christians having the power of an eagle. The picture is of us like mounting up, flying up into the sky, just like a powerful eagle can. I haven't seen many eagles lately. I've seen a lot of hawks flying around. Hawks fly around powerfully also. They can soar without much effort. But that's what we are pictured like, a mighty eagle with outstretched wings, flying with great power. Now, this metaphor of us being compared to eagles has its background in the Old Testament where God instead pictures himself as a mighty eagle. Isn't that something? How God pictures himself as a powerful eagle, parent, and then us as eaglets. If you turn back in your Bible to Deuteronomy 32, God compares himself to an eagle. In Deuteronomy 32, verses 11 and 12, God says, As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign god with him. He made him ride in the heights of the earth, that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him to draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock. So what a remarkable metaphor here. God says, I was like an eagle, and my covenant people who were captives in Egypt were like eaglets, and God said, I carried them out on my wings. So God powerfully is pictured as delivering his people from captivity. And then we find the same metaphor used by God back in Exodus 19 and in verse 4. There God says at the end of the verse, And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you 
to myself. There we have that same picture. It's like God is carrying us on his mighty wings, as it were. And then we do find the same metaphor developed in Psalm 81. If you turn to Psalm 81, there it appears that what is going on is that in verse 10, we are being pictured like hungry little eaglets. Have you found any nests around your house? We did. Under my propane tank, there was a blackbird and it had its nest in there. And when I lifted up the top of the propane tank, there were all these little beaks all opening up, sticking up. They wanted mama or dad to feed them. Well, in Psalm 81, verse 10, we read, I am the Lord your God who brought you the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. So perhaps the picture is here of us like little eaglets, little birds, and God is ready to feed us. But now things change in our text. God is not the one who is pictured as the eagle. Now God takes this metaphor of power and might and says that you, beloved, you believers, you are like eagles. You can soar. I don't want to say soar above your challenges and above your trials, but it's more like you soar through your trials. But you are pictured like a mighty eagle. Jesus once breathed on his disciples. He actually exhaled and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So picture it like this. God, the Holy Spirit, the marvelous person of the Holy Trinity indwells us. It's like he blows beneath our wings as it were. He strengthens us. He empowers us. You know, all things are of the Father, by the Son, through the Holy Spirit. And so God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who empowers us. He blows into our lives and enables us to fly with strength. You know, any imagined strength we might think that we have in ourselves, we need to disregard and, and realize that, no, in ourselves we have, we have no strength. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But God, you see, Christ by his spirit is the source of real strength. And by this strengthening grace, by this powerful grace, we mount up, we fly. We're able to fly through the many trials that God sends to us in his sovereign providence. So there's this miracle of grace in our lives. That even though we, we experience great loss, great sorrows, we can go on. We can continue on. We can even fly like an eagle. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament taught the same reality when he said that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Notice that emphasis on power coming from Christ. Christ is the source of the strength. And the all things that Paul talks about are all the trials, all the hurts, all the sorrows, all the headaches, all the interpersonal conflicts, all the persecution, all of that is included in this And Paul says, I can do all things through Christ. Why? Why does the eternal and glorious God, why does he give to us wimpy, weak, fallen, rebellious, sinful sons of Adam, powerful grace so that we can fly like an eagle, so that we can run and not faint? Why? Well, the ultimate source of it is found in his eternal electing love. Paul celebrates that in 
Ephesians 1, verse 3 and 4, when he talks about how God is the blessed God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God, in his grace, set his love upon us. In his good pleasure, he chose you to be his precious son or his precious daughter. One of his elect sheep. And now, now what does he do? Well, because he set his love upon you, he sent his beloved son. Why is it that we can be given strength, who, we who deserve nothing good? Well, it's because of Christ. Christ's cross and Christ's atoning work is what we call the only basis, the only foundation and ground of our salvation. Paul celebrates Christ and his cross too in Ephesians 1. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God has showed rich grace towards us on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And already here in Isaiah 40, we do meet our Savior. We meet him in verse 11 when we see that he is our good shepherd who died for us and rose for us. We're told he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. On the cross, Jesus has paid for all of our sins of unbelief. He has paid for all of our sins that lead to chastisements. He's paid for that all. And that's why our iniquity is pardoned. And that's something that God announces through his prophets to Israel too. He says, her warfare is ended. You need to comfort Israel by telling her that, that her iniquity is pardoned. Beloved, that's also the reality for us. Our iniquity has been pardoned. That's a marvelous reality. Just realize what it's like if it would be the case in a classroom, a Divine Hope Reformed Bible Seminary, if we would get the news in class that just one of our students had received clemency and was going to be pardoned by the governor. That's happened once now. What do you think the response of my students is going to be if they hear the news that someone has been pardoned? I can tell you there will be celebration, even wild celebration in the room. And for us, something far greater has happened. The judge of the universe has pardoned our iniquities. Not only that, but Christ by his righteous life has earned for us power. He has earned for us weaklings, power, and grace to endure. And that's why we can receive these marvelous gifts of strength. The Apostle Paul celebrates how God wields his power and grace in the great work of redemption for our good. He says, in what the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Notice this focus on the power that the triune God possesses and that power as it is manifested in the great work of redemption, as it was manifested in the resurrection of Christ and as it will be manifested on one of the happiest days of our life when we're all raised from our graves with new glorious bodies. 
So God announces to his covenant people they will be able to renew their strength and mount up with wings like eagles. But how is that possible? How is it possible that God's covenant people in Babylon or we could do that? Especially in a context where people are challenging God and denying his attributes. Well, in this text here, God comes back to these people who are denying his ability or willingness to deliver them or denying that he has the knowledge of their situation by asking some rhetorical questions. In verse 28, he throws out the question, Have you not known? Then he says, Have you not heard? Brothers and sisters, what comes next are things that we have heard too, some of us from our childhood. When we were in catechism, we learned words like omnipotent, that God is all the power. We learned words like omniscient, that God is all-knowing. These are things, too, we know, we have heard. And notice what God asserts. He asserts, first of all, his power and his knowledge, but also he also communicates his names, which are all revelatory. He says, the everlasting God, the Lord, and notice that's in capital letters, that is Yahweh or Jehovah. And then he says, the creator of the ends of the earth. And then he asserts his omnipotence, neither faints nor is weary. Then he asserts his omniscience. There is no searching of his understanding. Notice how God responds to the covenant people in Babylon. He says, no, he says, I am Jehovah. I am the I am who I am. He is the God who is rock solid in his covenant commitment to his people. I love how Jesus responded to his opponents by saying, before Abraham was, I am. God is the God who is. He is the source of all infinite power. And God says that he is God, Elohim. He says, I am the everlasting God. The word God points to his might. That's a connotation of that name. And therefore, he is able to help you. God asserts that he is the creator of the ends of the earth. That is, he made everything that is on the entire creation. He made man and woman and all the animals to the ends of the earth. And the point is this. If God is the almighty creator who made all things, does he have the power to help you? And the answer is yes, he does. After all, As Jesus said, even on the Sabbath day, his father works. Today on the Sabbath day, God, according to his infinite power, is upholding every one of his creatures, and he's governing all of his creatures, whether it's Putin or Prigozhin or whoever it might be. He is supreme in his universe. And, of course, the Bible everywhere teaches, too, that the Son of God, too, is the mighty creator. Our our Savior is the one by whom and for whom all things were created in heaven and on earth. And then we find God's omnipotence asserted in a negative way by this phrase, that he neither faints nor is weary. Imagine how absurd it is to think that the eternal God, the glorious creator, somehow gets red in the face, panting so hard he can't go on, faints, has to lay down. It doesn't ever happen. The psalmist celebrates that God never slumbers or sleeps. He's not unaware. He doesn't fall asleep. He doesn't get tuckered out and tired out. No, God is in 
is the source of all power and strength. He has unlimited resources of energy. Far from God ever being weary, he is the one who gives strength to you, his beloved saints, who in yourselves are so weak and become weary so easily. And we're told here that he gives power to the weak in verse 29. And then we're told, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Power, you know, is the ability to do something. For example, some of my students have the power to bench press 350 pounds. That means they have the ability, they have the resources, they have the capacity, they have the muscles to do that. We're told God gives power, ability, energy, strength to the faint. He gives us the strength we need to go on. He gives us psychological strength. He gives us emotional strength. He gives us strength to say no to sin, no to unbelief. And what I love is that after that, we're told he increases strength. And it's interesting that the Hebrew word there has some connotations that sometimes can mean multiply. And you know the difference between just adding numbers and then multiplying them. Isn't it a marvelous thing that we're told, not only is God this, this week going to give you, brothers and sisters, strength, but we're told he's going to increase strength. He's going to multiply strength. He's going to give you abundant strength. We also have God's omniscience asserted here at the end of verse 28 when we're told, in a negative way, there is no searching of his understanding. Isn't that striking? There is no searching of God's understanding. Now, I could give you a test in soteriology like I gave my students recently, and we would soon find out that there are limits of your knowledge of some of the great doctrines of salvation. And you could sit down with me and start asking me questions on a wide variety of topics, and you'd find that I very quickly would come to the end of my knowledge of the topic. But about God, it's a whole different story. There is no searching of his understanding. He knows all things that can be known. He has infinite knowledge of all things. And what's relevant here is therefore he knows your trials. He knows everything about you. And he knows you with the loving knowledge. And so he knows exactly what you're struggling through now. And of course, what's astonishing is now we have the Son of God at the right hand of the Father who is truly man, who therefore can relate to us even more, we're told, as a great high priest. So that's the first thing. It is possible for us to fly like eagles and run and not faint and walk and not be weary because God, he knows our situation and he has all the power and the resources to help us out in our time of trouble. Secondly, it's possible for us to fly like eagles and to have the spiritual power as we wait on the Lord. In verse 31, it says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Is it the case that everybody and their brother can mount up with wings like eagles? Is it the case that everybody can just run and not be weary? No, we're told there are certain persons 
who can do this alone. And who are those persons? Those are persons who humbly wait upon the Lord. Notice it's in the way of waiting upon the Lord that we renew our strength and mount up with the wings like eagles. So what does that mean? That we need to wait upon the Lord. Well, unfortunately for our old nature, that means sometimes we need to wait. Oh, how we hate to wait. Don't we hate that word? Someone says, just hold on a minute. Just wait. Wait a moment. We don't like that, do we? When we're going through a fast food restaurant, what do we don't want to do? We don't want them to say, please pull forward to this little parking lot. They're in wait. But that's what we find here. It's those who wait on the Lord, who renew their strength and can run and not be weary. Well, then by God's grace, we need to learn what it means to wait on the Lord. What does it mean to wait? Well, it means that sometimes we will need to do exactly that. We will just need to wait for time to pass and humbly wait for God's timing. It means, though, too, that we trust in him. It means that we go to God for help. It means, in plain English, that we pray. We go to the Lord and say, Lord, help. Maybe, maybe the trial you face is that you're single and you're looking for a godly spouse. And you, you go, go, Lord, and pray that, Lord, grant me a godly spouse. Maybe it's a time of grief. Lord, help comfort my soul. Give me renewed strength. We need to pray. Trust in the Lord. Part of that waiting to is hoping in the Lord. Confidently expecting that in the way of resting, Lord, waiting on him, the Lord will, in his timing, give the good gifts he wants to give to us. The Apostle Paul talks about how God gives strengthening grace. Notice how in the sermon I keep talking about powerful grace, strengthening grace. You know, sometimes in the Bible the word grace has that connotation, you see, of power that God gives us. It's, it's unearned, unmerited, but gracious power to do good things. Here what's, here's what the Apostle Paul does. He prays for the Colossian saints and he says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, there's almost something that seems comical to us about that. Now, Paul is talking about how we need power that comes from God. It is glorious might, we're told. And then he says that God, in response to prayer, gives patience with joy. We might think those two don't go together. That patience is something that's no fun. It's no fun having to wait. But Paul says, no, God gives us patience with joy. How can there be joy? Well, because we can look ahead and expect that the Lord, as our all-wise Father, will give grace in his timing, and he will glorify his name, and he will bless us in his timing too. Now, this waiting doesn't imply inactivity. It doesn't mean that as we wait on the Lord for certain things that we do nothing. No, for example, God uses the means of grace to give us strength and power. So that means, well, we need to go up to the house of the Lord to gather to worship him. Or let's say you're waiting on the Lord for a spouse. That doesn't mean you don't take that step and approach that girl and say, hey, would you like to go out on a date? Or maybe your boss right now is mistreating you and you need a new job and you're waiting on the Lord for a new job. Well, that doesn't mean you don't send in application forms or show up for interviews. 
Because God uses all these things as means in his sovereignty. But it does mean that we wait on him. And we may not have impatience. There's two dangers. One danger is that we try to run ahead of the Lord. We try to say, well, I'm going to solve this problem myself. And we run ahead of the Lord. No, we need to wait on the Lord. He is the one who opened doors. He is the one who gives strength. And on the other hand, the danger is that we just bail out of the Lord. And we say, well, the Lord, we're like the Israelites. We say, the Lord, the Lord isn't going to help me, apparently. Things are hopeless. No, we can can instead say, no, I, I will wait on the Lord. I will humbly wait on the Lord. And in that way, look to him for strength. So what's all the significance of this for us? Then now let's bring this home. Well, here's the thing. God knows your situation. He sees your tears. He knows your trials. And he has power available to help you. Isn't it great that he is never weary? He is never tired. He is always the God who is there. He is able to help us in the midst of our trials. And in the way of waiting upon him, he gives us the strength to do what he has called us to do. As we wait upon the Lord, the Lord will give us the power we need to do the work he has called us to do. So we need not be discouraged. You know, God never promises that he's going to make life easy. And the older we get, we know, no, there have been hard, hard times in our life. But guess what? God has given us the resources to keep plodding on. Like the great missionary to India, William Carey, made the point that he said, I'm not such a gifted person, but by God's grace, I've just been able to, I'm a plotter, he said. The other thing we recognize tonight that in ourselves we are so weak. We are weak psychologically, weak emotionally. All it takes is one conflict with one person and our whole day is ruined. But God possesses omnipotent might and we can flee to him for true strength. I love how James says, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This week, be humble. You and I be humble. And then humbly wait on the Lord, which means that we need to go to the Lord, too, and pray and talk to him, ask for help. And as, too, as we we reject our own human strength and know that in ourselves there is no power to do the things that God has called to do, then guess what? As we depend upon the Lord, as we wait on them, then it's like we sprout wings like eagles, and then we fly And we're not weary. And then God, in that way, too, blows his spirit into our lives. And so we can run. And so now the picture changes. It's like we're running in the Olympics and we're running the marathon. And here we are as believers. We're running the race, waiting on the Lord. And we're strengthened. And there we go. We're we're coming to that 20-mile mark. And we're running strong. And we run all the way to the end. Sometimes we dash ahead in the Christian life. Other times in the Christian life, as we get older, we know we're just grateful that the Lord is giving us grace to walk and to put one step in front of the other. This past week, I listened on Audible to Bill Bryson's book about hiking the Appalachian Trail. 
Bill Bryson's kind of a comedy travel writer. And here's a guy who's kind of fat and out of shape. And there's a buddy who's even fatter and more out of shape who's a recovering alcoholic. And they say, let's hike the Appalachian Trail. The Appalachian Trail is 2,000 miles long. Well, Bill Bryson found out after walking hundreds of miles that, you know, the main thing was simply this. He needed to put one foot in front of the other. He said, after walking an entire day, it seemed like, well, I just seemed like I'm seeing woods just like I saw all day yesterday, and all the forests looked the same. He says, oh, I come to another hill. It looks just like the hills I climbed the day before and the day before. Then he's wading through another stream, just like the stream he waded through the morning. But he said what he found is that he just needed to put one foot in front of the other, and that's exactly the case with us too. We are on a pilgrimage to the heavenly city. We have a destination before us, a marvelous destination. It's a heavenly city. And like Christian, we're walking on that way. The path is narrow. The way is hard. Along the way are many trials. But guess what? By God's grace, look what's happening. We are walking, we read in the prophet, and we are not fainting. Even though we experience great trials. Instead, we go from strength to strength. So believers, wait on the Lord in this coming week. And as you wait on the Lord, this is what the Lord is going to do. The Lord, by his grace, is going to strengthen you. You will mount up with wings. You will run and not be weary. You will walk and not faint. Do we believe that? No, the Heidelberg Catechism, when it discusses what is true faith, it says that true faith involves believing all things whatsoever God has written in his word. Therefore, we believe this too, don't we, saints? We believe that God is the source of power. He's our beloved, loving father. He knows our situation. And so he will keep his promises and he will give us power to walk and run and fly. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, some of us are desperate. We are so hurt and wounded. We're grieving so deeply. We need strength and comfort from you. Some of us, our times in life where maybe the trials are not as large right now, but we know, too, that we also need your help every day, every morning. And we pray that in this coming week we would experience that, yes, your grace and your mercy is new every morning. Uphold these beloved saints and comfort those who mourn. And we thank you that we worship a God so great. You are incomparable in your majesty, incomparable in your knowledge, and incomparable in your mighty power. Glorify your great power by empowering us to walk faithfully on our pilgrim road. We pray this in the name of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen.